Hi friends, thanks for joining us today. It is Palm Sunday and we want to recognize uh, the tradition of this in what we've been doing today as a faith community. And so we are celebrating Palm Sunday, though we might be doing it at home. I don't know if you've got something resembling a palm branch, but if you've got something and you want to wave it around, uh, go ahead and do that and have some fun uh, playing around with that this morning. And as it's Palm Sunday, um, we are going to introduce a new series called Jesus and Politics. I think that Jesus has a lot to say about politics, but we are not going to use this series to get involved with partisan politics and critiquing political parties and whether or not they're doing a good job. We'll leave that for you to talk about around the dinner table and over coffee and because I know how much people love to talk about politics, especially with their neighbors or people that they don't know very well. Of course not. And yet politics is a part of everyday life. And not only is it a part of our everyday life in the news as we watch how governments are handling the pandemic, but politics is about the way that we interact with other people. And so the whole word politics is a very old word. It goes all the way back to Aristotle. And the word that he used is where we get our, our term political, but it literally meant the affairs of the city. And it comes from a, a root word for city, polis, the word for city. And it's about the affairs of the city, how people care for one another when they are together in a group. And whether you are in a political party or not, you live out daily politics. Because in some ways... Whenever there's a group of people around a common cause with a shared identity, there is some level of politics among them because politics is about the sharing of ideas, the sharing of decisions, the sharing of resources, and the sharing of authority or power. And it's this idea of power that we are going to look at today with, with the message that Jesus gives in how how he approached the use of power. You know, it's interesting um, when you think about Jesus being political, which we tend not to, but I think uh, so much of his life was hugely political. If you think about, about the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew records uh, some extensive teaching that he does for us. And in Matthew 5, Jesus says to the people who were listening to him, you know, I didn't come to abolish all of the law and the prophets. He's talking about the Torah. And the Torah was the basically a, a, a code for daily living for the Jewish people. And they were meant to live by that code. And Jesus is saying to them, as a fellow person living under that code, I didn't come to, a, to get rid of the Torah. Actually, I've fulfilled it. And that is a hugely political claim that he made. Jesus was in essence saying, everything that you know about the Torah and how it dictates how you should live your life daily with each other, all of that is fulfilled in me. So now, if you want to learn about how you should conduct yourselves together in community, you just need to look to me. And of course, that raises all the wonderful things we know about Jesus summing it all up into two commands of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. 
and then ultimately saying, actually, love people the way that I've loved you, and you'll be fulfilling all of the law, all of the Torah. But for him to make that claim that all of this, the Torah, this code for daily living is fulfilled in him, is a hugely political claim. And of course, it took the, it, it, the, those who opposed him took notice of that. When he first entered onto the scene in Mark's gospel, the very first things Jesus says are, you know, celebrate, rejoice, because the kingdom of God is near, and you should repent, you should change your ways, change your thinking, because this is good news. And when we use language, like when we read this, we read about the kingdom of God. I don't think it translates well for us today because I know we're a constitutional monarchy and we have the queen, but we don't really live in the language of monarchy anymore. And so I think sometimes when we talk about kingship, that just kind of rolls off and we, and we pay no attention to it. So, so I, I might translate this today of Jesus saying, um, you know, repent and believe this good news. God's government is here. The nation of God is now among us. And throughout Jesus' ministry, he is claiming to be the leader of that government or the leader of that nation. And I think when we use that language, now, now that changes things. We begin to see some of the political emphasis on what Jesus is saying and the claims that he's making. In essence, he's saying, I am the prime minister of all prime ministers. And he's inviting people who would follow him into God's way of ruling, God's way of governing. And you can't help but pick up on the political nature of that. And that brings me to this idea this morning of Luke 19, which was read for us this morning. And in Luke 19, um, Jesus tells a story in verse 11 about the ten servants. And it's a story about a guy who goes away to be crowned king, and people oppose him. And while he's gone, he gives some people some money to invest. And we can, we can pick up on you know, what, what we learn from these people and the investments that they made. But we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that this is a story about himself. And Luke puts it right before, the triumphal entry, right before the triumphal entry of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And it's the riding into Jerusalem, the first part of, from verse 28 on um, to uh, verse 35. Jesus rides into Jerusalem and he chooses to do so on a donkey. And, and again, um, with all the cultural differences, we might miss some of the implications of this. But this is a claim that Jesus is making to his authority, to the position that he is claiming for himself. There are numerous passages that are um, alluded to in this act that he is doing. But I want you to think about this. As you've read through Luke's gospel story, the, his historical biography of Jesus, whether it's Luke's or Matthew's or Mark's or John's, Jesus walked everywhere he went. If he wasn't on a boat in the lake, he walked. And yet, at the end of his life, the end of his ministry, this time when he's coming to Jerusalem, and he's been to Jerusalem many times before this moment, 
But this time when he comes, he intentionally sends, chooses to ride a donkey. He sends his disciples ahead and says, get that donkey and bring it because I'm going to ride it into the city. And Luke doesn't, but if you read the same story in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 21, uh, Matthew refers to, to the prophet Zechariah, an Old Testament book. Uh, in chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, Zechariah talks about the celebration of Jerusalem's king coming into the city and riding on a donkey. And so Jesus is making a statement here. He is making a claim to authority. And as you read through, particularly in, in, um, in both Matthew and Luke, the very next chapter talks about Jesus having a conversation with his opponents about the authority that he has to do the things that he's doing. And so this passage in Luke 19 that we're looking at today is a claim that Jesus is making to be the one that the people were waiting for, to be the Messiah. So in Genesis 49, uh, verse 11, uh, Jacob is giving a blessing to his sons, and to his son Judah he gives the blessing. And within that blessing it talks about Judah tying his donkey to the grapevine. And, and people would be making this connection of what Jesus is doing um, with the connection to Judah, the, the kingly tribe of Israel. In Exodus chapter 4, when Moses is going back to Egypt with his family, he, he rides to Egypt on a donkey. In, in 1 Kings chapter 1, David, who is king, has Solomon coronated as king and has him riding on a donkey. And then, of course, this passage in Zechariah chapter 9 is about Israel's king. And so the people were waiting for a Messiah, for someone who was going to come and, and liberate them. And there were, there were messiahs before Jesus and after Jesus, people claiming to be the one that the Jewish people were waiting for. And, and every one of them was involved in a political confrontation that also included um, militaristic uh, violence and, and the, the struggle for power and dominance of the nation. And, and the struggle and the fight against Roman occupation. So Jesus, who walked everywhere, now chooses to go to Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And the prophet Zechariah says, not only is your king coming riding on a donkey, but it's a representation of his humility. And I think we need to pay attention to what Jesus is doing here in making this claim. And they're participating in, in what he is declaring here. Because in verse 38 in Luke 19, you see the people singing blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. These are messianic psalms. They're, they're quotations from Psalm 118, from Psalm 148. Luke includes them here, as do the other writers. The people are participating in the claim that Jesus is making. What he has done has, has not been missed. They've paid attention and they know the claim that he is making to be the Messiah. And they're participating fully with him. So they are saying, yes, we are, we are full agreement in full agreement with you that you are the Messiah and we're celebrating this. And they were excited about who Jesus was. But I think maybe they missed what he was going to do with that authority. And they weren't expecting what was going to come next. Because after this passage, as Jesus 
does come into Jerusalem as you continue reading into verse 41 and 40, uh, 45. You know, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem and, and actually says, you, you're missing the point. And then the very next thing he does as he comes into the city is he goes straight to the temple. And not only is Jesus claiming to be the one who has authority to do the things that he was doing, that he was the, the one that they would crown king, that the kingdom of God was present. And of course, for us today, it would be that our leader is here and God's government is now fully present among us and at work in this world, which means it is going to confront other political powers, but it is also going to affect our daily living. So not only is he making a claim to have that authority, but he is also modeling his posture to power, how he would use that authority. And this is where it gets really fun. So the people were waiting for him to come, and what they saw was somebody who was going to help them get rid of the Roman occupiers, and that he would establish uh, a physical kingdom of God. And of course, when we get to Easter next week, we'll look at a conversation Jesus had with the Roman governor, where he said, my kingdom isn't of this world, or my government, God's government, his way of ruling isn't isn't about the physical. It's much broader than that. It encompasses all of that, but goes way beyond it. And so the people were waiting for Jesus to do something. And instead of him um, ushering in some type of a militaristic takeover, he instead is doing something far greater. You know, when, when um, as you saw in the video earlier, when conquering leaders entered a city or a nation. They came in chariots and they came in horses. Jesus came in a donkey. And it was a symbol of not militaristic power, but of the power to serve, of civic power, the power to serve people, the power to, to um, lift them up. And the, and the donkey symbolized that kind of posture to power that Jesus would take. So they were expecting him to take over and to take control. And what Jesus does after he enters the city is he goes straight to the temple. And this starts in verse 45, that he entered the temple and he began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. And he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And the Old Testament text that he's quoting from talks about God's temple being a house of prayer for all nations. And so where the people were expecting Jesus to come in and to use his authority and his power to overthrow the Roman occupiers, Jesus goes straight to the temple instead. He doesn't go to Pilate's palace and confront Pilate. He goes to the temple, their own source of identity and power, and he clears the temple. And, and the part of the temple that he clears is the outer court of the Gentiles. It was, it was the place where people who weren't part of the Jewish nation were invited to come and to worship God. It was the place where, where all the other people outside of Jerusalem or outside of the Jewish people had access to God. 
But that had been turned into a marketplace, and it was preventing people from having that access to God. So what Jesus does with his power is he clears the temple, and in essence is saying, I'm now preparing a way for everyone to have access to God, including the Roman occupiers. And the posture that Jesus takes to power is is not lost on the people. That power is for Jesus and for God's way of governing and ruling, power is always used to come under people and lift them up, to serve them, rather than using power to be held over people and control them. That power is used to invite people into relationship rather than being used to coerce people through fear into obeying. And so he's definitely making a claim to be the prime minister over all. And then he's saying, this is how God operates in the world. This is how God uses his power in the world. It's not for coercion. It's not for fear. It's not for obligation or guilt. It's for invitation. It's for lifting people up. It is for serving people. So another wonderful example where Jesus shows how he uses his power is in John 13 at the Last Supper, which is also part of the Easter story where after supper Jesus disrobes and he basically turns himself into a slave and he washes the feet of all the people around the table who are with him. And then he says to them, you know, just like I've done this for you, this is what I'm inviting you to do for one another. If this is how I'm using power, then I'm inviting you to do the very same thing. This is where it gets really cool. So this story in Luke 19 or in Matthew 20 and 21 or in Mark chapter 11 or in John chapter 12, it's there in all of them. It's the one claiming to have authority to to bring about God's rule in this world. And then he's also saying... This is, this is how we handle power. And then he shares that power and authority with us. So at the end of Matthew's account of the life of Jesus, the very end, the last few verses in Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority, all the authority that, that God has is now mine. So go, now I'm sending you. In other words, I'm sending you out in my name, with my authority, to be my representation here on earth. And he shares that power with us. But where he shares that power with us, he has also modeled for us how that power is to be used. I don't think the people in Luke 19 were expecting him to do what he did. And I think that rocked their world and turned it upside down on how they were viewing power and the use of it. But Jesus shows them what it looks like and how it can be done. And then he shares his power with all those who would follow him. And it's interesting that in, in Ephesians, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to people living in the city of Ephesus who were following Jesus, this is a prayer that Paul prayed for them. 
In Ephesians 1 verse 19, the Apostle Paul said, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And then Paul goes on to say how the church is the body of Christ and that it is made complete in Christ. And so Jesus shares his power and authority with us. And then the Apostle Paul, uh, his prayer for, for people who were following Jesus who were part of God's government and God's nation, was that they would understand what this power was. The same power that raised Jesus up from the dead is the same power that God makes available to us. And I'm so glad that Jesus showed us how we're to use that power. The posture that we should have to power in daily politics. But I would say it's also a word for partisan politics for all those in in charge of others. That authority and power are meant to be used to come under people and lift them up and to serve them, rather than to control them or to manipulate them or to coerce them into following. So I encourage you this week, celebrate Jesus as Lord, Jesus as King, Jesus as Prime Minister. And be aware of the posture to power that he modeled for us. And I wonder what kind of power you have access to. Maybe you're a teacher or a parent or a supervisor or a team leader, uh, an older sibling. Um, There are people around you that you might have some level of power among them in the daily politics of life. And I encourage you to ponder how Jesus has modeled for us how we might use that power how we might come under people and serve them instead of holding it over them to control them. As we go through Holy Week, um, BIC Canada has provided us with a wonderful resource of a, a devotional for Holy Week that you can access in the video description below. And I think this Sunday is a wonderful way of kicking that off. And I invite you this week to um, reflect on this modeling of power for us, to use the, the BIC devotional, and to join us on Good Friday as we, as we walk through the ultimate use of power and authority that Jesus had was to lay his life down for others. May God bless you and encourage you this week as we approach the Easter celebration. And we invite you to join us uh, next week as we look at um, Jesus and truth and what the resurrection has to say about that and how people in our world today understand truth and might even uh, approach the whole idea of the resurrection. And if there's someone that you can invite to join us online, we encourage you to do so. So until then... um, You know, praise the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings in the highest heaven. We celebrate Jesus this week, and we look forward to connecting with you again next week. Bye for now.